Welcome to Growing Unicorns, where every week, Holly Chen, Eli Rubel, and me, Karina Edwards, come together with some fun guest hosts at a live interactive discussion where we unpack stories from the trenches while we're working with some of the fastest growing unicorns today. All right, so we're here for episode 12, Growing Unicorns. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Um, Today, we have an awesome guest that we're super excited to have. Megan, we'd love just for you to give a little intro. um, And then Holly, we can jump right in. Sure. I'm Megan Eisenberg. I'm the CMO of TripActions, a travel and expense management platform. I uh, have, prior to that, was uh, the CMO at MongoDB for four years and took them public. And prior to that, high growth company uh, as the VP of demand gen and customer marketing at DocuSign. I'm also on the board of G2 and Terminus. And I advise uh, several companies like Loom, Product Board, uh, Vectorize.io. So a mix of tech and SaaS companies. And always excited to talk about growth and marketing and running teams and, and scaling companies. So excited to have you, Megan. Um, you have so many rich experiences in all these hyper-growth companies. What do you think are some of the key things to keep in mind in building teams in hyper-growth companies versus um, a regular other companies? Yeah, I mean, I think the important part, usually um, when I'm entering a company, um, you know, there's maybe 100, 200 people at the company. You're just starting to build out all the, the functions. Uh, marketing may have four or five, maybe 10 people uh, in the team. And and I really start to think about, okay, what are the three buckets? I need to have the right people, the right technology, and the right process to scale. And so if I focus on people and I think about marketing, uh, I think about the the you know, I need to know our story and messaging. So I think a lot about, okay, from a product marketing standpoint, do we understand the buyer? And I start to build out the pillar of product marketing. Do we understand the buyer, why they buy? And then do we enable our sales team to go sell? And then I think about, okay, the company's growing. We need to have a brand and corporate communications and PR. It's really that awareness. So if a salesperson enters a meeting or tries to get a meeting, the company has heard of us. So I start to build out the function of PR and comms. And then if you once you've got those first 20 customers, 100 customers, 1000 customers, depending on what segment you're going after, you need to scale it. And a lot of that is growth and demand gen. So what do I need to build out on the growth team to really take that messaging to market, but to get it in front of where the buyers are out in the market, whether that's over email, social, digital, events, your field marketing side of it and building those out. And then across all of it, it has to look good. So you need creative, you need web teams. So you need technical folks that can help you build out the website and all the channels you're going to be out on. Then you need the creative designers to help it make it look good. You know, you want it to look good across all the channels and consistent. So that's as your brand is starting to build out, it needs to be consistent and across all of that. And then you need to be able to measure the success, which is part of putting the technology across all of this to have it out there, to monitor it, to measure it. So you're building out your operations. And then there's a bunch of partnerships that happen in marketing. You need to partner with the sales team. You need to partner with the product team and engineering. And you need to partner with your people team because as you're growing and scaling, HR or the people team is out there hiring. And so marketing really works with all these different teams to get this, you know, you're aligning the company across the story. And that part of that is understanding your roadmap, product strategy, and engineering and what's coming. 
then get it to market with your sales team. So go to market and then you need to keep hiring more people to deliver that to the market. Uh, and that's hiring more engineers, more product people, more salespeople. Yeah, that's such a good framework to think through all the different components, right? Like um, a, a lot of the non-marketing uh, folks think, oh, like marketing marketers, but it's actually like multidiscipline. There's so many things to, to consider. What are like, what are some of the, like, what's the order that you would build your team? Say like your early stage series A just raised around, um, haven't really done marketing. How would you build up the team uh, in order? Yeah, I mean, usually you, I would say you need to understand buying your buyer, the positioning messaging, and that tends to be the product marketer. Sometimes the founder becomes the product marketer because they truly understand the problem they're trying to solve. They're writing about it. They're talking to potential customers about it. But marketing, I would land the, the product marketer and they're starting to craft, you know, you need a website. What goes on the website? You need to capture some customer stories if possible. You need to support your sales team with the deck. What's the first deck? What's the second deck? And so I think at the core, you need a product marketer in the very early A. I think when you want to scale is when you're bringing in more of the demand gen. But I feel like series A, it's, it's okay, what are the top 10 accounts or the top five? Like, how do I land those first five or 10 customers? And that is hand-to-hand combat. That's having a good sales partner or biz dev person. And you're getting into an account and you're really learning it. And and product market fit doesn't evolve till a little bit later, right? You have problem. I heard someone say it's problem market fit. You're solving a problem first. And once you understand what the true problem is, it might evolve a little bit. Then you start to get product market fit. So probably after 20 customers or 100 customers, you start to hone in on what product market fit needs to look like. And once you hit 1,000, you really start to scale. You're in product market fit. And then you start to transition to platform where you've got multiple products to keep that growth and momentum. So I, I think Series A is, is starting with product marketing. And you can work with a lot of agencies in the beginning. And then as you hire more team. Now then, I think you complement product marketing with your demand gen person that's kind of helping you, you know, build out and spend that budget to get more customers. Um, On the note of product market fit, we have a question um, from the audience. So John asks, what are the processes and or learning loops companies that are looking for product market fit need to master? Companies that have to be surgical about how much they spend before product market fit. I mean, I, I mean, you're trying to figure out, will someone pay for what we've built, right? It, you know, the first couple, you may have to give it away to get them to use it to capture the value. And so I think to get there, you're really obsessed with the user of your product and, and what they need and building it for them and tailoring it to them. And you've got to really land that first one, two or three logos. For us at Trip Actions, early days, SurveyMonkey was a great customer for us. Really, we obsessed over what they needed for travel and built out what was necessary. So I think you know to get to product market fit, you have to obsess on your user and your customer. Um, we have a couple more questions. So from Hagap, we have as a growth marketing slash performance marketing team, lead, how would you integrate your team with product team without stepping on anyone's toes? I mean, I think people work with you when you add value. And so if you come with knowledge of the market, domain, the user, the customer, what the future looks like, have a vision, and uh, you partner with them. People want to partner. Someone that's in there solving the problems, chasing something down. Maybe you're doing surveys to help 
inform what's necessary in the roadmap. So I think a lot of it, you know, you get respect when you understand the customer, the value, the domain, and you can help them formulate what, what, where should we, what direction should we head in? What are we hearing? And that you, you're, you're grounded in data or source or something. That's what, I mean, that's a partner I would want. Yeah. I think this is a great segue too into something that Holly and I have talked about on previous episodes um, of just like, how do we, how have you seen teams or your teams build out shared OKRs or KPIs so that that alignment is there and that people really are marching towards like a partnership um, specifically on like the product team versus like growth or marketing performance side? Yeah. So I mean, I, I, and by the way, it's not easy to align all the teams because I think that there are people <laughs> and personalities and uh, competing projects and, and measurements. So for sure, it's not when I talk about it doesn't mean I've mastered it because I haven't. But <laughs> I think it starts with the company vision, mission, strategy and goals and have all the executives and all the functions aligned around that. And um, so that's where you start. And then each of the functions should be tying in their goals and objectives to the company goals. And then, so even if you're in product versus engineering or versus marketing, if we have the same objective and goal at the company level, and we know we need to be to get there, each of us plays a very specific role in getting there. So I think to align, you all need to agree on that. As you start to get into the day-to-day or what you're going to deliver that month or that quarter, you know, really thinking about, okay, what is the what what's the problem we're trying to solve or what's the persona we're solving for or what that ties to the overall objective and goal and what do we need to build to go do that and then marketing is laying the you know they're getting ready for go to market they're getting ready for launch maybe they're collecting information maybe there's unanswered questions so they're helping you you know survey they're understanding the product and the wow and like they're writing the press release that they're going to put out there in a quarter and then you're delivering the product to that press release and and if you're aligned around that and you deliver then you now take once it's live you're either saying it's coming or you're saying it's live but you're now making sure sales is ready and they're enabled in the field and you're making sure your customer success managers, assuming you have account managers, success managers are also ready because you have existing customers that are going to use this new functionality and you have new customers that are going to use everything you've already built along with the new functionality. So there's a lot of enablement going on between sales and CS, depending on what stage company you are. Yeah, yeah, this is such a good point. Like, it's literally what I was talking with another uh, marketing uh, peers. Uh, the marketing team, North Star, is um, you know, something that um, I hear a lot from from teams. Is like they want to hear from the head of marketing the vision for the marketing team or the direction of the marketing overall. Um, like, as a marketing leader, we are keyed into the broader company strategy and how each of the functions on the team support that. But um, translating that into a narrative that is marketing specific, then the team can rally around. Sometimes it's like, I thought, oh, I thought we did that, but actually, like, it still needs to click with the team to build that narrative. It's, it's a, so much easier set than done. Yes. Um, yeah, I agree. How do you, how do you, yeah, what are your, <laughs> tips for doing that? I mean, I, I think it, you know what it comes from telling the story over and over out in the market. So I find the first, the usually the best person that knows the narrative the best is either the founder or the CEO, because they're pitching all the time. They're pitching to customers. They're pitching to investors. They're, they're getting asked, what do you do? What does your company do? And they say it over and over and over again. And based on the response that they get 
from who they're saying it to, they pivot their story. Oh, they didn't really get it when I said it. What if I said it this way? And when you say a story over and over and your full-time job is telling that story over and over, you, I find you get really good at it. So I think making sure you're listening to your CEO founder say the story and I see them evolving it very quickly. Every week it's evolving. Get them on media interviews. They get asked a question. It evolves. They go to a conference. They go, Oh, I hear that. They talk to a customer. They hear the customer say it back to them or the, the like why they bought, you know, listen, we listen to chorus.ai when sales is pitching to prospects and customers. All of a sudden you hear the salesperson. They're probably pretty good in some way saying the story, your best reps and like what got someone to buy. And so it, it, it forms that story. I feel like it, it's not what it evolves over time. And you just get better and better at it. And I, you know, as the CMO, you're doing so many different things. You're not necessarily telling the story over and over again. I don't spend my days telling my story over and over again to customers, to investors, to, you know, every time I interview someone, I say the story because I'm, I'm selling them on our vision and I'm telling them about the vision and why they should join. I find I do iterate on the story there, but sales t- says it every day. The CEO says it every day. Your CFO, as you get closer to going to public, says it every day to investors. Or if you're doing a financing round, you're telling that story over and over and you're getting pushback and feedback from VCs, investors. So I think that helps. So I think I would stay close to whoever tells the story the most and gets the real-time feedback. Um, I think that's helped me. I, certainly at Trip Actions, um, I try to listen to my, the way my CEO pitches it, the founder pitches it, um, and, and sort of evolve and iterate. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I, I also love find it. that really helpful even in like the product marketing phase, just listening back to customer calls, even as early as like the first discovery call with the prospect. You're hearing the salesperson talk about that story and then you're hearing the reaction of that person. And so it really helps like, oh, that was like a clear objection, but I know we can do that. Like, how can we make that more a part of our story initially? Um, so absolutely love that. And then bring in an agency that knows how to do a brand story, right? I mean, they're not going to have the at-bats, but they should be really good at extracting that out because mm-hmm. they talk to customers, they talk to sales, they talk to your CEO, they talk to the founders. Uh, and so I find they're, they make it sound so much better as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And they can cre- help you create the brand story because not everyone is a storyteller, not every, you know, you have to validate by what they're saying. And it's, it's not a short process. It's at least a quarter. And then you'll, you'll continue to iterate on it. But if you can't afford the brand agency and the, uh, and a you know, creative agency, then, you know, revert to listening to sales pitches and your CEO as much as you can. Yeah. Love it. Um, from the question earlier on product market fit and, and finding product market fit, John asks, how would you tailor your comments for companies that are not selling enterprise software to accounts, but more self-serve 10 to 20 a month um, SaaS? Yeah. I mean, trip actions were not just selling to enterprise. Actually, we started in corporate commercial, went up to mid-market and really last year went bigger on enterprise. And I mean, when I joined, they, I, I feel like I was lucky in that when I joined, they had product market fit in corporate and mid-market. And how I knew that was because the user happiness, our NPS scores, high 50s, still high 50s, our um, customers sat after each trip, we pull our travelers, you know, hot, you know, 
over 93% consistently. It was the same at DocuSign. We had very high um, NPS score, so I, I, which doesn't help if you're not in product market fit. But if you want to see if you're getting to product market fit, it's that NPS score. It's that customer stat. Obviously, if you're getting a lot of, you know, we're, we're adding two or 300 logos a quarter. You're, you're, that says something. Not only are you adding a lot of logos, but they're happy. Um, and so I think you get to product market fit back to what we talked about earlier is focusing on the user. What makes them happy? What do they need? As you get more happy users, they're using it. You're going to get more customers are using it. That is going to, you know, we find out about things by word of mouth. I talk to other heads of marketing, VPs of marketing, growth leaders. What What's working for you? I learn about software. I learn about different things. You know, if you have a happy user, they're going to share it. And when someone has pain like they have, they go, oh, yeah, well, that was painful for us to travel was not great. But we, you know, we started using trip actions. I love the user interface. I love the app. It's so easy. Like, you know, you start to share that um, and and you get to product market fit um, as you build the right product. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what's an NPS baseline you'd like to keep in your mind? I mean, I've always heard high 50s and 60s is like almost near excellent, right? I mean, everyone always used Apple as the bar. I, I, you know, I think if you start to dip in the 30s and 40s, maybe you're not there yet, but that's not, you know, I've, the only time I've seen, you know, 80s or 90s is if you put on some amazing event or something. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think 50s, 60s is really um, quite high and respectful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned about the, the aligning the teams. I want to dig a little bit deeper because um, especially like at, at different stages of the team development, um, cha- different challenges come up. Right? Yes. Like in early stage, it's like so many things to do, not enough resources. So begging for resources. Um, and then there are so many things you can do. So it's hard to figure out um, the, the goal, uh, what to focus on. And then as the team grow bigger, it's probably different people have different interpretations of the goals. And then um, and people start to go to different like directions. What are some of the common challenges you've seen in aligning the teams? And how do you think about um, resolving those? I mean, I think if the leaders aren't aligned, the teams aren't. I think it's very hard for people on your team to not align with others if they see two leaders aligned. Because as soon as these two aren't aligned, they're going to escalate. And when they escalate, these leaders are going to align them. And so I, which I know is easy to say, but when I'm not aligned with another leader, I start to see the separation and the issues. When we're aligned, it's it's hard to go against your leaders being aligned because it just it, it's almost like it 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 stomps it out. And then if we disagree, then that is the right time to escalate and figure it out. And if two leaders, they should be able to figure it out at executive level. If not, or if there's truly value to both sides, then talk with the CEO and make those tough calls, right? Like the hard part about being a CEO is you do have to make some really tough calls when maybe both the answers are right, but totally opposite. And, but you only have resources, time and money for one, then you're prioritizing. Um, but I think, you know, prior, to, you know, every day I feel is the exercise of prioritization because you're right. There's a thousand things we could be doing. Um, and I don't always pick the right thing. Uh, and that, that's part of it. But I, I think that you will pick the right thing. If you're aligned and sometimes having less resources helps you prioritize mm-hmm. because you just don't have enough people to do it all. So what gets done is the priority. 
and the or the fire drill of the day, you know, you kind of want to balance the long-term stuff with the short-term stuff. And if you're not getting the long-term stuff done, then you need to separate, you know, have a team focused on the short-term fires while you've got another team doing the longer-term things. Yeah. Um, when you first start working with a company, like how do you go about creating that alignment? Like what are some of the actual you know, marching orders you set for yourself, specifically with like sales or product? Yeah, I mean, you got to clean your own house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I really focus on, you know, usually there's a million things that you need to address within your function. I find it hard to, to poke at someone else's function without, you know, making sure you're operating. And I find, you know, certainly you're building relationships out of the gate. So you don't ignore the other functions. You need to meet with them and you're soliciting feedback because they have lots of ideas on what's not right, what they're not getting. So you start to collect, you're interviewing what are the issues that people see. And then you're with your team understanding what they're seeing because you're an expert in your field. You need to, you know, just the outside view is not always exactly what you need to work on, but it is a, a symptom of a problem you have to fix. Whether you fix it the way you want, they want you to or not, doesn't matter. So you start to collect, okay, what it like, do we not have enough leads? Do we not have enough content? Do we not have, you know, there's things that will pop up over and over again. So I'm, while I'm understanding the, what the challenges are across the different functions, I am organizing the team, I'm hiring the team. And then I'm like, okay, what are some easy wins to build alliances with sales or product? Cause there are usually some things you could do right away that, that will like, Oh, they heard me. Mm-hmm. They're working on it. And then there's some longer term things like maybe the story has to be redone. That might take a quarter, but can I start to deliver a weekly like news splash on what marketing is delivering for sales? Like here, here's all the assets. Like, can I do some short term wins while I'm working on the long term ones? And then I have to deliver, right? And it may take me three to six months to show any value, right? Like you got to figure out what's wrong. Then you got to get the stuff in place. Then you got to go solve it while dealing with fire drills. Cause I feel like every, you know, even here when I came here, it's like, we're scaling so fast. There was fires everywhere. And, you know, I had, we had headcount for 30 or 34 people and I had 10. And so I had to like be hiring people that would be addressing the fires while addressing the fires. Cause I didn't have the people. Right. So it's like, and delivery. And I find if you deliver on your function and role and show value, you start to earn respect. You have to earn those relationships. And then you're adding value by helping them solve problems and pain that they see you as a partner. And when you deliver, then they start to partner with you more. And I just think it brings alignment in by doing that. Uh, and I too, I do tend to focus on sales first um, and product growth companies. It's a, you need to be careful because if, you know, I think at Mongo, I focused so much on sales. I didn't focus enough on product because I, I didn't have the domain expertise. And so I, I fix a bunch of problems over here when I, when I need to be a little more balanced. And so I learned a lot from that. And then coming to trip actions, I needed to do a little I needed both. I, I couldn't ignore product and, and that side of it. And frankly, travel is not actually an easy. There's a lot of nuances to travel, but the capacity to understand it and use the product. Like I travel. I, I've used the competitive products. I use our product. At MongoDB, I, I did not build databases and applicate, you know, I didn't use databases and code and, and build applications and stuff like that. So I had to really rely on product marketing and domain experts, which made me less of a great partner, I think, mm-hmm. unless I hired really well to the product team. Um, and so I learned a lot from that. 
And then on the sales side, you know, understanding their pain, tying my goals to them hitting their revenue and our company hitting their revenue targets, letting them know I'm in it with them and building out the assets they need to be successful when they're in the market and then building the awareness. So people brought us into their selection set when they're looking to buy something. Yeah, I think something that you really touched It's such a great point, like especially as a new... (laughs) Sorry, Ollie, I think you're lagging a little bit. Go for it. (laughs) Sorry. No, you're totally fine. Uh, I was saying that it's such a good point. As a new leader, I always wanted to like deliver value as fast as possible. So I tend to want to focus on the biggest, most hairy problem first and not to like, like pay, not necessarily pay attention to the quick wins. And this is such a great point is like the, the, the trust is built over time and you need to deliver quick wins and to, to gradually build that relationship versus trying to solve the biggest and the hairiest problem first. Yeah. I think another and, really solid point was like all comes back to internal marketing. I think we're all marketers and we like know how to solve the external problems and we know how to think take things to market and you know help drive revenue. But then when it comes to like, okay, now do some internal marketing, right? Because we are such like a centerpiece to the entire org. Like, how do you show sales the value that you're doing either in the, you know, quick two-week sprints or in the long term? Um, and I think being able to be really good at that makes a huge difference in terms of how you see those relationships align. Holly, were you gonna say something? Yeah, I um I'm I'm super curious on this. So, um you hear different th- different things from different people, right? Um some people say, "Oh, like the team is too junior. It's like you need to build a new team." Uh and and other people say, "Well, it's actually uh some other like uh problems uh because we are not aligned." So, like different people tell you different things and as a new leader, how do you form your own opinion? And especially if it's the short time that you have? I mean, just like a CEO, you have to make tough decisions, right? You've got a, there's some, there's some, you're, you're looking at the data holistic, right? You've got the whole set of data, you see the pains, you're making trade-offs and you're prioritizing based on what you think you should be focused on and you hope you're right, right? And and there's some things I, you know, I've certainly missed on. I focused on a bunch of problems and I, I missed an overall brand movement right? Which sometimes takes longer, but I was in the weeds of launching products and enablement and a, you know, annual user conference and hiring and, and, you know, there's market has a million things that you're focused on and PR fire drills and uh, uh, right. You're writing communications, all of that. You're working with partners and all of a sudden you're like, Oh my gosh, we're a multi-product company. What have I done with the brands? How have I, uh, how have we evolved? And, and, you know, you step back and you're like, okay, I'm here now. I got to go uh, fix it. But um, it's, you know, it, there's trade-offs you're making it. And, and honestly, your, your CEO, what I love is my CEO and I think all CEOs, they have a bird's eye view and, and oftentimes they'll come down. A good CEO will go, okay, I'm going to pull you back up. Don't forget these overarching goals. Don't forget we need this. And and so I also think that comes with having good good leadership. Even my peers, you know, when they start to come to me on the bigger issues, like, okay, lift your head up, right? Like these are, the, there's some macro things you need to focus on right now because you can get bogged down in the micro things of the day to day. And so that's that balance of being uh, the strategy that the chief marketing officer versus a VP of marketing, I think is where you need to pick your head up and think across the overall business and working with the team versus just execution. Pivoting a little bit, there's a good question from Elmer. What have you found to be effective in aligning long-term marketing value to C-suite and boards? 
as a member of various boards, what do you look for from early stage marketing leaders? Okay, I got to unpack that again. <laughs> Where I'm asked the yeah. question one more time. Yeah, yeah. So, first part is what have you found to be effective in aligning long-term marketing value to C-suite and boards? So, how do you how do you take sort of the if you think about the goal, the, the long-term vision and mission of the company and then what you need to execute in the short term? I mean, I think that's part of aligning as an executive team, you know, we want to become the leaders in and travel and expense payments globally, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, three years from now. But in the short term, we're focused on taking our liquid product into Europe. And, mm-hmm. you know, what do we need to do that? And what are the partnerships? And what's the messaging? And how are we going to launch? And how does it get localized? Like we're launched in the US where, you know, we're competing against you know, we're trying to take out Brex and Expensify and Ramp and, and those players on the, the payment side. So, you know, it's like, what are the short term things as long as they're getting you to the long term side? And so, you know, they're most of the team, I would say, is focused on the quarterly goals, right? I have my own leadership team and, and quarterly we talk about, okay, our goals, where are we at? What are the themes? How are we getting there? What are the major launches that are coming that we need to align to? And then it's like, okay, you're delivering this much pipeline and you're getting this much coverage and you're building this new web out and you're, you know, we need to get where we need to do a lot more in Europe. And here's, so we get very tactical very quickly. Um, as far as on various boards and hiring for early stage marketing leaders. I mean, I think it depends. Usually you've got a team in place and there's some weakness and you're trying to offset it. Like you either have a really strong product marketer and now you think you need brand or you've got a kind of a cool brand, but you don't really have the product marketing side or strategy. So you're, you're trying to bring in, you, you need balance or you need someone who can hire, right? Because there's not really one person I think who's great at product marketing, brand, demand, gen. Like they're very different like skills. And to expect a startup one person to have all of them, I think is rough um, yeah. at best. And so allow, allow them to hire. And, and if you've hired a good person, they can hire, right? Um, and so you're, you're also looking for someone who can build a team, I think, in the early days and inspire someone to come work at this company. Can they do the pitch and do the story and sell into the vision and really the equity of, of what, you know, what's the addressable market? How are you positioned in that market? Why you're there to win? Why you have the team to execute? Why you have the investors, the right investors that are going to be able to help you take that market and get them excited about that mission. So, I mean, you, you need a leader that can do that and can bring people in uh, and build that out. So I think early stage, I mean, all, no matter what stage company you're in, you need to be able to hire because you're always hiring. But if you can find that marketing leader that can hire and build the team out, you know, and maybe in the beginning, they're leveraging a lot of agencies for it. And that's okay. Give them budget to do that. Or be fair, you only have so much budget. Do you want, what do you want them focused on? Are they building out their website? Are they building out comms and PR and awareness? Um, because if you're going to ask them to do all of it and give them no budget or people, that's hard. <laughs> yeah. In terms of the first marketing person. So there's a philosophy saying... You, your first marketing hire is your VPM or your CMO and, and let that person build a team and like set everything up correctly from the very beginning. And there's another school of thought saying, well, just hire, you know, your product marketer and like, let's work on things before you hire a marketing leader. What's your philosophy? 
around that. I mean, I, I don't know that I ever see a CMO hired at an early stage startup. I feel like CMOs don't come in until one or two, at least two, like 200 people. I think you're, you're hiring a director of marketing in the early days. Um, maybe a VP of marketing, but you end the people who are really good in the early stage as you know, may not be able to grow with the company. So you end up bringing up people over the top of them anyway, um, whether it's fair or not, I don't know. But um, so I mean, I think your director, senior director, and I, I think it's also hard to bring in someone who's an established CMO or VP of marketing into a startup because they're used to having resources and budget. And so they know where you want to get to, but if they're, it's only them, it's also hard for them to be the only one doing it. So I think people tend to hire the up and comers who want the, who are like proving themselves. Maybe they're a senior manager or director and you're making them a senior director or a VP and they've got, you know, the energy, the grit, the desire to build that out. And I think you're, you're looking for hungry in an early stage and someone who wants to prove that they can, they can be that leader and help you hire, but you should know you're probably going to have to help them hire because if they've never managed a team, you know, one, two, three, it also is a different skill leading and managing a team uh, and building that out and knowing the right, you know, how to coach, but also the right skill sets to hire. I don't know that I under really understood, you know, how I got there until after looking back and going, Oh, you know, when someone asked me, how do you hire? It was like, Oh, well, I did it. By, you know, I looked back at what I did, but going into it, I don't know that I like had this perfect plan. It was sort of, Oh my gosh, this is pain. I need to go hire someone here. And I hired them there. And then you know, I started to get pattern recognition in the models after doing it. And then after like advising several companies, I saw the pattern over and over and over again. So I felt more comfortable talking to it. But if you've never, I mean, that's why I think as you get further along in your career, you're so much more productive and efficient and decision making. Like I often find new teams will be like, oh my gosh, you decided that so fast. Mm -hmm. And it, at, you know, 10 years ago, I did not. I was like trying to invent it or innovate or, or do something. But when you've seen it over and over again, you go, oh no, that's, that's what I want. That's what I, let's do that. Let's do this. And I think when you hire people with experience, that's also what you're paying for them to make faster decisions. And that doesn't mean we're always right, because I certainly make mistakes. But I think it's, uh, you know, with experience, you're getting fast decision, fast execution. So it's a balance. If you bring someone in with no experience, they may execute slower. I don't, you know, because they've not done it before. They may make more mistakes. But if they're smart, they're networking, they're asking questions, they have a, a network they can go to and talk to on, on what to do. You bring advisors in for them that have that you know experience that they can share and they can see, oh, you're dealing with this issue. This, these are, you know, there's, here's some ideas of how to address it. Ultimately, that person has to decide what to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like how to balance fast decision making versus perfection, right? Like, especially in, in hyper growth companies, you cannot afford to be perfect yeah. or like... Yeah. You can you just cannot afford it. Um, in terms of people, what's your philosophy of growing people, um, taking a chance on someone, or um, trying to coach someone to a place that they um, they need to get to? Versus, like, when is the point where say, okay, like this is not a good fit? And what's your <laughs> uh, principle around those? Yeah, I mean. It depends on the size of the team. You know, I have, I started with 10 and now there's 50 some people on my team. And if you bring, you know, my leaders, I expect to have a plan and have done it and to have some battle wounds and some ideas. And then the people on their team, I don't always, I need varying level of experience just based on what we're trying to do. So uh, I expect from my leaders to have that. Uh, I think people that are on their teams, 
there's more coaching involved. Um, but I, when I'm I interview everyone that joins the team, that matters a lot to me. And what I look for is, are they coachable, whether they're the leader or, or someone on the team and I see an individual contributor, I need them to be coachable and problem solvers. Because what we in a fast change environment, there's a million problems. So I need people who have the energy to just go, okay, with this problem, okay, now we have this, let's go solve this. And they just keep going after it. And not come back and go, I can't do it because I don't have budget or I don't have resources. Or like they're creative, they're problem solving, they look at it differently, or they go, actually, we don't even need to solve that problem. We're focused on the wrong thing. Let's solve this. Or they can prioritize and they realize that's really not a priority <laughs> either way. But yeah, I mean, you're hiring. That's, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Yeah. And I, I always say I don't want to hire victims. Those are the worst. <laughs> that, uh, you know, the reason they're leaving their existing company is because they didn't get budget. Nobody listened to them. I told them this is what we should do, but they didn't do that. Uh, well, that tells me you're going to come here and do the same thing. because Nobody <laughs> can listen to you. You're not going to get any money. And like, so if you can't figure out how to to sell your idea and what needs to get done, you probably won't be successful anywhere unless someone's directing you every moment what to do. And that that is takes that's less of something you want in a startup. If you have to be very prescriptive, they're fine being an IC maybe, but if you're just being very prescriptive and they're not early in their career, then that's, I feel like, rough to bring someone on. You want someone that can deal with change, can, you know, go solve the problem, chase it down. I love the people on my team where I'm like, can you just take this and run with it? And I just know they, they're like project management experts. They know how, who knows what they go and get the information. They come back and even if it's not perfect, like they've moved it forward and then we can iterate on it. And those are the people you give more responsibility to. And those are the people you promote. The ones who like can tackle the problem and go get it done. And you're like, oh, wow, maybe they could solve this. And all of a sudden you're giving them more and more and more because they're able to move the the team forward. They're able to accomplish stuff and they're just a joy to work, <laughs> right? Because they, they just like, you need those, you need a bunch of those people and you marry them to the domain experts. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that's, that's ideal. Yeah, I feel like being able to come to those people and say, here's where we are. Here's the end point. Figure mm-hmm. out how we get there. And get us there. Like, get everyone on board. At the end point. I did it. And you don't even yeah. need to know the how or the why. And they just do. Yeah. And I think like not being afraid to make decisions is super like invaluable as well. And also like wanting to find the opportunities where that you can add value, right? Like instead of like you're saying, like having to be super prescriptive um, and like here's step A, here's how you go to step B. It's like, no, here at A. We need you at D. How do we yes. you go do that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I remember, um, I forget who talked to me about the three H's. It was like, when someone comes to you, uh, do, do you want me to just hear you? Do you want me to help you? Or do I need to handle this? And so I try to figure out when someone's coming to me, are they just venting? Because we all need to vent. Okay, fine. I, I hear you. I understand that's going on. Okay, thanks. Or, or like, oh, you're having trouble here. You really need me to, to um, give you ideas or models or like, okay, you're up against that. Here's what I think you should do or you could do or try this. Or like, you're just not getting anywhere. I need to step in and actually do this myself and handle it. And so I do try to think through that and help them think through when they're coming to me with stuff. Like it's more with my leaders, I think, thinking through like um, what they really need 
in this situation. And I hope to over time have less and less me handle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If I hire the right leaders, I'm handling less. I'm helping because my job is to coach and mentor and show them direction and make help them make decisions. But if I'm raising leaders who are going to go on to be CMOs, the more they can handle, the better they're prepared for their next job. Totally. Yeah. I think the transition that is sometimes hard, at least in my experience, is like being that person who's like, yes, A to D, I've got it, I'll handle it. But then now you've got a team who you need to be A to D, they've got it. And like, so I'm not a part of that journey anymore, right? And like offloading that, yeah, for sure. But if you've given the right context, I find they make the right decisions. It's when I haven't given them all the information or I skipped a step and they come up with something totally different. I'm like, oh, wow, I did not give them the right context on that. That's (laughs) on me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think... Holly, were you going to say something? This is such a, like, I learned this hard way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, we need X. And I just like didn't explain the full context and just like give some information that I thought was helpful and relevant. But, but like, if I were to give the full context, it would have been a different strategy. So oh, totally. This, this one hit home. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. I could talk about this forever because I feel like being a good leader, especially in marketing is like learning how to delegate because like you're saying, Megan, like how do you get to this point of CMO where you're going to have all these things, especially like the more macro things, like you can't be here all the time. And so figuring out how to delegate just along with like internal marketing, I feel like is is equally important. Yeah. And if you're spending too much time in one section, you didn't hire the right leader or you've outgrown them. And then you need to bring someone in to like, if you're spending too much time in product marketing, you probably don't have the right product marketing leader. If you're spending too much time in growth, you don't have the right growth leader, you know, or you need to add bandwidth to that team. That leader is too tactile because they don't have enough resources or they're not prioritizing right or making the right decisions. Like you got to figure out uh, what it is, but ultimately they're the, your leader is not doing something right if, if they should be building a case to hire more or prioritize differently, right? Like the leader prioritizes and hires and then inspires the team. So if that's not happening, then they either have to give them feedback to help them get there or you need to bring someone in that can do that. I think CEOs do that all the time, right? Like they dive down into the different functions at some point when they're too long in a function, they're like, okay, I need to bring in a new leader here. Or, or, you know, we've outgrown this particular leader or I need to bring them coaches or mentor or something. Yeah, absolutely. I love this. Megan, this has been so amazing. Every yeah. time I hear you, I'm like, I'm learning so much. I like, I took a full page of, uh, of notes. Um, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, we will, we would love to have you like on season two and talk about all the next growing unicorn topics we have. Thank you for joining us. Thank you everyone for your awesome questions. Um, and we'll see you here next week. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.